Welcome to the Cornerstone Vineyard Weekly Message Podcast. We are enthusiastic about all ages pursuing, experiencing, and having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open God's Word and seek His direction in our lives. Good morning, everybody. My name is Doug Southworth, and I am actually on the speaking team here. I'm unofficially the director, assistant director of Beards and Button-Down Shirts. I'm trying to get Matt to finalize a position. Uh, also, if you call this a button-up shirt instead, there's still room for you to serve. So I don't want to exclude anybody. So Pastor Matt and Pastor Josh are both gone. They're actually coming back home uh, today. Matt's on the road right now. So they decided to leave the lunatic in charge of the asylum. But I think we're going to have some fun this morning anyways, and um, if this is anything like first service, I think God's got some uh, good stuff for us. So turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy 33.29. Deuteronomy 33.29. So that's going to be in the New Testament, and that's about all I can tell you. Uh, <laughs> just a quick reminder that we are okay if you use a paper Bible, that's perfectly fine. If you want to use your cell phone or a tablet or something like that, that's good as well. And you can find all the message notes and references and verses and all that kind of stuff online at faithnotes or sermons.church if you want to fill in the blanks there instead of on paper. So to get us started today, I've got a question for all of you. Your phone rings. It's a number you don't recognize. What do you do? Don't answer. Don't answer and block it. Don't answer and block it. Wow, I'm, I'm going to make sure you've got my number because I don't want... <laughs> Exactly. So who's in the don't answer crowd? Show of hands. Wow, that's almost 100%. That's pretty impressive. What would it look like, though, if we decided to do something a little bit different? The other day, my cell phone rang 917. That's a New York number. I didn't know who it was. I picked it up anyway. I hit talk. I said, hello. Guy in the line goes, hey, Bruce, what's going on? My name's Jay, not Bruce. So I said, nothing much, man. What's going on with you? And he said, I'll tell you what's going on. I just got an email about the budget. It's supposed to be 15000 Now it's 10000 And I'd like to know what's up. <laughs> I got excited in my chest. <laughs> I grabbed the steering wheel. I was like, OK, focus. Your name is Bruce. There's a budget. It was 15000 Now it's 10000 No one's happy about it. That's all we know. That's all we know. So I just repeated back to him what he said to me. And I go, 10000 is supposed to be 15000 he goes, yeah, I know. Well, I just got an email, and now it's 10. I go, listen, man, I don't know what to tell you. I've been on the road all day. I, you know, I haven't even seen it. And he goes, did you send this out? <laughs> I'm giving some attitude to Bruce. I didn't like it. <laughs> I said, listen, man, the budget was 15000 We had a couple extra expenditures. It went up to sixteen two. I reworked it, got it down to fourteen seven. I had 300 to play with, so I called it 15, and I sent it out. So he goes, did Larry okay this? I go, listen, man, I took the budget to Larry. Larry said it looked fine. I ran it by Jennifer, just in case, just to double check. Jennifer said it looked good. I sent it out. He goes, yeah, well, now it's 10, man. And I realized this guy has no idea what's going on over there. He hasn't talked to Larry. I know he hasn't talked to Bruce. He doesn't even recognize my voice. I know he didn't talk to Jennifer. I just made her up. Am I the only one here who's wanted to do something like that? 
I just, I can't keep it together long enough. I would get about two minutes in and I would just crack. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that when you dial a specific phone number of a specific person that you want to talk to, you expect to get that person, right? Pick up the phone and that's going to be the person on the other end. And it really, really helps if you know the person that you're calling. You know, you've, you've had some experience with them. You know some key attributes about that person, kind of how they talk, what their voice sounds like, uh, how they phrase things. You're going to know pretty quick if somebody's trying to pull one over on you. For instance, Matt Porman and I have been doing ministry together for over 10 years. I know him very well. We talk frequently. Matt has some very specific ways that he phrases things. And he tends to talk really fast like this. I can't even do it. He's got a lot of, you know, message points to get out, so he's really learned to talk like uh, one of those guys at the end of a commercial. So I know if it's not mad. I know pretty quick if I've been duped. So what does it look like if we extend this concept? I'm going to move this back because I keep bumping it. What does it look like if we extend this concept to God? Do we know what God sounds like? So what would you say are some of God's key attributes, some of his defining things that let you know it, it's him? So maybe God for you is God your protector, or maybe God for you is somebody who is always faithful to you. Like, give me, give me some feedback here. What do you think of when you think of God? First, you know, word or name or attribute that comes to mind. Okay. Patience. That's how I know I'm not God. Miracles. Miracles, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, all of these are different aspects of God, right? All of these are really good answers. And depending on your experience with the Lord, you may have one trait that sticks out in your mind more than anything else. You know, there might be 15 or 20 things that come to mind, but usually we have one thing like God is my fill in the blank and that's what he is to me because of my experience with him. So maybe it's one of the covenant names of God, something like Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord my banner, or Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord that heals. Or Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Now, God, in fact, is all of these things all the time, right? We just get to experience these little different pieces of him as we move through our short lives here on this planet. Let's jump back to Deuteronomy 33:29 and actually take a look at this verse. It says, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. So when we look at this verse, there's several key attributes of God that start to come into focus, I think. For instance, it says, the shield of your help. So he's our protector. He's the one that watches over us, the one that cares for us. The sword of your majesty. He's powerful. He doesn't just play defense. Your enemies shall submit to you. He fights our battles for us. Because this isn't talking about God's enemies submitting to him. This is our enemies submitting to us. God fights those battles for us. So I'm bringing up these ideas because we're going to be starting a new series over the next couple weeks. We're starting it today. It's going to run for a few weeks called Lord of Lords, Key Attributes of the Father. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is take a look at some key attributes of God, things that we believe you can absolutely take to the bank. This is who God is. This is his nature. You can't change any of these things because it's who he is. 
So some of the things we're going to be looking at today, for instance, we are talking about standing guard, God the protector. That's going to be coming up here shortly. And then we've got right-hand man, God the helper. And then I like this last one, locked and loaded, God the warrior. I'm excited about that one because I have no idea where Matt's going with that. So it's going to be really fun. So we're calling these key attributes, like I said, because you can't, they're just, they're who God is. They're unchanging. So kind of along those lines, who here likes chocolate chip cookies? Okay, the rest of you are wrong. (laughs) So if you take a chocolate chip cookie and let's say you substitute in, let's say raisins for the chocolate chips. Yeah, I see the disgust in all of your faces. It might look like a chocolate chip cookie now, right? You know, from a distance of it sitting there, I might go pick that up and accidentally eat it and be really mad about my life. That I've been, that something horrible has happened to me that I didn't see coming. It's still going to look like a chocolate chip cookie, but it's going to be different, right? The taste, the texture, the smell, those things will be changed. No longer a chocolate chip cookie anymore, right? Now, God is infinitely more complex than a cookie, but the same kind of thing applies God, these are these key attributes that we're going to explore obviously do not sum up the whole of who God is. I could be up here for the rest of my life and I couldn't do that. But we're going to focus in on a couple few key things over the next few weeks that really, you can take these to the bank. This is who God is. This is who he always will be. Um, Side note, if you ever, under any circumstance, substitute raisins for chocolate chips in any of my cookies, any trust I had in you will be absolutely gone. Any trust I was going to extend to you in the future will be absolutely gone. Our relationship, like that cookie, will be forever changed. And not in a good way. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's pretty cut and dried, right? There's no equivocation there. Jesus is who he says he's going to be. He never misrepresents himself. So as Christians, we're called to serve the Father, right? That's our primary focus. That's our primary reason for existence. We serve the Father. And in a world where we've got ever-changing values, where the truth is malleable and changeable, depending on which group you ask or which person you ask, the truth is a moving target. We're always on a search for it. Well, it's not that way with God. He can absolutely be counted upon to be who he represents himself to be in the scriptures. He's revealed himself to us, and we can take that to the bank. His key attributes, once we know them, we can trust him, and then we can be used by him. In essence, we know who's on the other end of the phone. When we call up God, we know what his voice sounds like. We can hear him. We can listen to him. And consequently, when he calls you, same thing. You know you're not being duped. You know you haven't got somebody on the uh, other end of the line that's telling you to do something that's terrible or stupid. You've got God because you recognize his key attributes. So when we trust him, we can serve him, and then we can serve each other. And one of those key attributes that we're going to explore today is the idea of God as a shield or protector. So when I say the word shield, what pops into your head? I've got a few examples here. Maybe it's something like this. Captain America, who has basically an indestructible shield that he does a lot of throwing of the shield. I mean, occasionally he uses it for protection, right? But there's a lot of kind of offense and defense, you know? If you need to take down a plane that can hover, 
his shield's kind of handy for that sort of thing. Or maybe you're more of a student of history and you're interested in how the Romans use their shield. So the Romans invented this technique. It's called the Testudo Formation. And it basically turned them into like one of the first tanks. They put their shields over their head. They'd have their shields to the side. And effectively, they were, they were kind of invincible when they were in that formation. There's actually documented battles where they survived hours of arrow bombardments without any casualties. Maybe this is more what you think of when you think of a shield. An invisible force field that protects you from all harm. So yeah, Star Trek, lots of, you know, shields up. Like even if you don't know Star Trek, that's kind of a, a universal phrase, right? So it's this ever present invisible bubble of energy. It can't be seen, but it does protect the ship and it keeps, you know, horrible things from happening. So regardless of how you picture a shield, the premise is the same, right? It is something that protects you, something that keeps you safe from harm. And depending on which one of those you related to, I know a little bit about you. So maybe you're into superheroes, or maybe you're a student of history, or maybe you like sci-fi, or maybe you're a giant nerd like me and you like all three. Back to our uh, core verse for this series, Deuteronomy 33:29. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help. We're going to focus in on that piece today. So God offers us protection. That's the takeaway from that part of the verse. God is our shield. And he never tires of doing it. It's always, he's always there. It's not like we have to call upon God like, man, I'm about to walk out the door. God, I need some protection here. He's just there. He's ever present. It's always effective. It's always around us. In fact, one person in the Bible who I think was really super keenly aware of this was King David. So King David wrote, a lot of psalms. I don't remember the exact number because I'm a terrible person, but a lot. And when you look through his psalms, you see a very, very key pattern. It may start off with him praising the Lord the entire time, and he continues that because the Lord is his protector and his shield, and he acknowledges that right out of the gate. Or the psalm may start with, there's enemies all around me, and there's nothing I can do, and I, Lord, I'm, I'm in this ter terrible, horrible place. Then you know what he says after that every single time in the Psalms? But you, O Lord, are my shield. You, O Lord, are my strength. You are my protector. You are the one who watches over me. You are the refuge to which I run. It never fails. Like David doesn't leave you hanging. My life's terrible, and then ends the Psalm. Let's take a look real quick at Psalm 91. We're going to go verses 1 through 8. The whole psalm is amazing. Definitely read through it this week. We're just going to focus on this first part, verses 1 through 8. It says, He who dwells in the secret... Ooh, that was rough. Beard problems, sorry. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. 
So our message today is titled, Standing Guard, God the Protector. We're going to take a little bit of time this morning to take a look at what that means for him to be our protector and how that plays out in what we'll call, quote-unquote, the real world. (laughs) So the first point we're going to jump right in, and you can write this down on your handout, is God's protection is ever-present. God's protection is ever-present. It's always there. We can count on it. That's what ever-present means, right? We don't have to wonder if it's there. It just is. Back again, Psalm 91, verses 5 and 6, it says, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. I love that day-night cycle because we're awake, we're kind of aware of what's going on, and we feel the need to protect ourselves and shields up, but what about when we're asleep? That cycle there that we're all used to, day and night, David recognizes that God is there the entire time. In fact, David talks about this concept quite a bit. In Psalm 3.3, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. And in Psalm 46.1, he says, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And some translations actually say ever-present help in time of trouble. So David's one of the mightiest men of his era, right? He's fought on the battlefield countless times. Like when we say he's, a, you know, he's the king and he leads troops into battle, it doesn't mean he was at the back telling people to go fight. He was at the front of the charge. He led his troops in battle. He's the one that stared down Goliath with nothing but a sling and some stones and a prayer. God, you can see throughout his life how aware David was of God's constant protection. I don't think that he was fooled that when he lived to be a ripe old age, which is not something we would normally associate with a man of war, right? Usually warriors are going to die young. I don't think he had any illusions that the fact he made it that far in life was because God was looking out for him. God was protecting him. And honestly, it's incredibly comfort- comforting to know that we have a God that is always there, always looking out for us. We don't have to turn it on. We don't have to say a special prayer, you know, to, if I'm not, don't say this prayer today, I'm not protected. And it's likely that you know somebody who walks in this kind of protection all the time. So think for a second, as I describe this person, somebody's going to pop into your head. Somebody who, no matter what life throws their way, they keep pressing forward unfazed. When life is hard, they have a smile on their face, they have a joyful attitude. Nothing seems to affect them. It doesn't matter how close the danger gets to them, how close the trouble gets to them. There's just this peace that surrounds them and it runs through them. He's one of these people that you actually want to be around. If something's going down and things are hectic, you just want to be around this person because they exude the peace of the Lord. You want in on a secret on their lives? First of all, I'm not that person. But what I have found is that when I've been around those people, it's not their money that gives them that kind of peace not their car. It's not their house. It's not their job. It's not their family. It's not their friends. It's not their church. Their ability to rise above the situation that's around them comes from one place and one place only, and that is the assurance that God is going to protect them no matter what comes their way in their life. They're free 
to spend all the energy that they would normally put in worrying and freaking out about protecting themselves and shields up, they can put all that energy into kingdom-minded tasks. They have a focus that says, I'm not here for me, I'm here for the kingdom. And if God wants me to do something, he's going to protect me. What can man do to me if I'm walking with the Lord? So I've got a, Jack, a, a friend named Jack Crothers. And Jack, he's a man of God. And there's no, there's no better description of who Jack is. He's one of these people that, as a Christian, you want to hang around all the time because remember a few weeks ago when Matt, uh, Pastor Matt talked about holding our cups up so that we could be full of the Holy Spirit and then it's, you know, it's overflowing from there and you know, people get splashed with the Holy Spirit. Jack's one of those guys. If you're near Jack, you cannot help but get splashed by the Holy Spirit. He's also the type of person I was just talking about. He's above the fray. Nothing seems to get to him doesn't matter what's going on. He is always calm and collected and he has a faith in the Lord and he can speak that faith into any situation and you're like, man, you're right. I just, you can feel the peace of the Lord wash over you. Now, Jack was diagnosed about 20 years ago with incurable leukemia. First doctor said he had a year to live. Doctor after that said, no, that's probably pessimistic, but maybe three or four. He didn't, he actually went to another doctor beside that no one gave him better than a four-year chance of surviving. Now, when I say about 20 years ago, the reason I don't know the exact date of this diagnosis is because Jack doesn't talk about it. It's not what defines him. He knows that he has a purpose on this earth and that he is to spread the word of God and that he is to be a comfort to people and that he has a ministry to complete and that if that is his focus, that cancer can't touch him. And it's been 20 years. And he knows that if God wants him on this planet for another 20 years, then God will keep him here. And God will protect him. And God will be his shield. Now, I get that life is hard. I do. I mean, if you look at my amazing wife and my incredible kids and this sweet, sweet beard, <laughs> you, you might think I've got it all together and I don't really have any worries, but that's not the case. I still feel like God has let me down from time to time. And I'm sure my friend Jack, in quiet moments with the Lord, has questions. He's human. But I think what Jack understands that we do well to remember is a couple of things. First of all, we're in a walk with the Lord, not a sprint. Likely your life is not going to be over at sundown. There's going to be a tomorrow and there's going to be a day after that. And the events that unfold in our lives oftentimes take place over a much, much longer period of time than we think about when we're in the moment. It's very easy for us to focus on what's happening at this exact second in time and not have a broader perspective. See, God doesn't function that way. God has this eternal perspective. He lives outside of what we perceive as time. He understands everything that we've ever known and everything that we ever will know in an instant. He sees how all those pieces and parts fit together and make a whole. So maybe in the moment that you're going through right now, God is working on you. Maybe God wants to teach you something now that he can use later to further his kingdom. Maybe he's using this particular situation 
to cause you to bear fruit, fruit that other people are going to see, and it's going to draw them to him. Maybe this moment's suffering will, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, work in internal weight of glory. And I say maybe to all those because I don't, I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know what all you've got in your lives. I don't know what God's doing. But I do know this, that I can promise that whatever you're going through isn't because God the protector has fallen asleep, has let down his guard, or has dropped his shield. The second thing I think it's helpful to remember, (laughs) my dad has said this so many times that I can hear it ringing in my ears right now, is that it could have been worse. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's actually a second part to this phrase if you're a Southworth. It's, it could have been worse, it could have been me. So, you might say a key attribute of being a Southworth is kind of a snarky, sarcastic attitude, but we're going to focus on that first part. It could have been worse. Now, I know that sounds really trite because I don't know what you've been through. Nobody knows what you've been through but you and God. But what I've found in my walk with him and in walking with others through difficult circumstances is it's really hard in the moment to understand all the ways that a God outside of time is orchestrating events for your good and for your protection. We can't possibly, with our our earthly eyes, understand all of the pieces and parts and how they all fit together. But Doug, I, I just lost my wife. I just lost a child. I've been diagnosed with some incurable disease. You don't know what I'm dealing with because you're not dealing with it. And I'm going to be honest, you might not get an answer until you see God face to face. You can ask him then. He's not afraid of your questions. But in the meantime, as long as we are here on planet Earth, we should know that God's protection is abundantly effective. His protection is abundantly effective. I just threw the second point at you, and I didn't even warn you. Ha! I beat the slide guy. So let's take another quick peek back into Psalm 91, all right? Psalm 91, 3 through 4 says, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. There's a lot of surety in those verses. David doesn't say maybe, if he feels like it, on a Tuesday. David wrote that because he understood that that was an absolute certainty. It's a key aspect of the Father. These things, absolutely to be counted on. Early we read out of Hebrews, so you might know this Paul guy. He kind of wrote a couple sentences in the New Testament. So, Paul was actually originally named Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church, right? He went around, made it his life mission to stamp out the church. And he had this miraculous conversion experience where God actually sent a visible blinding light, and there was an audible voice, and he called Saul to change his name to Paul and become one of the most prolific evangelists and writers of the New Testament era. And you'd think with that kind of attention from God. I mean, my conversion experience wasn't anything like that. I'm willing to wager none of yours were. You would think that God would just have this guy completely covered, like bulletproof. Nothing can touch him. He's just going to waltz through this ministry because God obviously wants him to do amazing things. 
But in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this about his life. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. I'm going to pause right there. Good Friday. Anybody here for Good Friday? You remember the physical account of Jesus' suffering? That 40 stripes minus one almost killed Jesus. Paul endured that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Where do I sign up for that life, right? Neat. Did you catch the part about the stoning? That was supposed to be an execution. They weren't just throwing rocks at him because they didn't like him. He was probably down below the people that were stoning him, and they were throwing boulders as large as they could heave or roll over a cliff. Here's the thing, though. Paul knew God would protect him. Even if the circumstances kind of made it look like God's protection wasn't worth a whole lot, right? I mean, that's a terrible list. I don't want to go through any of that. I don't see how I would survive any of that. It doesn't make any sense in my flesh. Like any of those things could have killed him, should have killed him. But I'd never noticed this before until I was preparing this message. You want the cool part? Verse 28, right on the tail end of that. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. He didn't care about any of the things that were happening to him. The man was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and betrayed by everyone. Literally, you read that list, he literally couldn't trust anyone. And he woke up every morning and he was concerned for the churches. Because Paul, better than most of us, I think, understood his place in the kingdom and had a kingdom-focused attitude. What can I do to move God's kingdom forward while I am here on this earth? And God sustained him through that ministry. Any one of those things could have been either deadly or at the very least crippling. You know, it could have sidelined him where he couldn't even do ministry anymore because he was so physically battered and bruised. But you know what? He didn't worry about any of that stuff because God's protection was abundantly effective in all of those circumstances. Any of those things that could have taken him out did not. And I think that's where the rub is for a lot of us as Christians, right? We feel like we've kind of suffered enough. We've given up things for the Lord. We're giving up money and we're giving up time and we're giving up what the world says is fun. Like we've suffered enough. <laughs> we want to get out of jail free card for saying that we're associated with Jesus. And if something bad happens to us, that means God let us down, right? Something slipped through the gates. He wasn't watching. Maybe he's not as strong as he says he is. Maybe he just doesn't care. Not interested. Got better things to do. I'm not telling you any of this because I'm pointing the finger at any of you. I'm telling you this because this is what I go through. This is what I deal with. All too often, I've thought that my walk with the Lord would look a little something like this. So for you youngins in the room, this is Super Mario Brothers. Right? 
So normally, touching any enemy in the board, like just touching them, would kill you instantly. But man, when you got the star, when you got the power up, look at him. He's not worried about anything. Here's comes some more. Ah, uh, nothing. And then at the end of it all, he makes it safely to the flagpole and he moves on to the next level and everything's just fine. Now, here in the real world, things don't work that way, right? We live in a fallen world. We live amongst people who have rejected the creator, rejected his truth, rejected his love, rejected his protection. We're <laughs> basically, we live amongst people that have free will, just like we do. Sin exists, and all the dangers of this world are real. And God is not the magic star that when you touch him, makes you absolutely bulletproof, and nothing will ever affect you again. And for the life of me, I don't know why I ever thought my life was going to be that way. I can't think of a single biblical example of anybody that followed the Lord that had an easy life, that it was just all sunshine and roses. I mean... Looking at a list here that I've made, Paul, we talked about him, obviously had troubles. King David had troubles. His own son tried to kill him and take over his kingdom. Talk about your family squabbles. Elisha, Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah. The Bible is full of examples of people who lived their lives for Christ and from a physical standpoint, man, it looks like a raw deal. Here's a verse for you, John 16, In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, depending on your translation. That was Jesus, by the way. I think we can probably trust what he says. He didn't try and hide that from us. So how can I even make this statement that God's protection is abundantly effective? Well, because it is. Honestly, Paul knew it. David knew it. So did Elisha, Elijah, and Jeremiah. Isaiah even stated that no weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. None of these men had easy lives from an earthly perspective. I'll be honest, as much as I want to move God's kingdom forward, I pause when I read accounts of their lives because I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready for all that. But from a kingdom perspective, they were incredibly well protected. They rested in the palm of God's hand, and that's why they weren't worried like I am. I need more of what they have in my life. They were able to accomplish these amazing tasks in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of their Lord, our Lord, because they were protected. They had a job to do on this earth. They had a kingdom-minded perspective, and God sustained them through everything that could possibly be thrown at them to finish that job. Now, my buddy Jack gets this. I think I could probably use a lot more of his perspective in my life. So, I did this first service, and I'm going to do it again. This is not a look-at-me moment. It's just being honest with y'all. My daughter has been sick for six years. We've been to doctors all over the place. We still don't have an answer of what's going on. We've actually withdrawn her from high school because she can't even cope with a single class. We'd cut her schedule back, cut her schedule back, cut her schedule back, and now she's just not enrolled in school for the time being. And I'm going to tell you right here and now that I have fought with this idea of God the protector. 
because I feel everything I said in this message about being run down and about God letting one through the gates. But I'm here to tell you that when I pick up his word every morning and I read through the word that he has left me, my word, that he has provided a way out of every circumstance that we've had to deal with through her. He has provided ways to care for her that boggle the mind. And while he has not healed her yet, he has given our family resilience and he has showed us that he loves us and he has put people in our lives that speak the truth into our lives. And he has provided a job for me that I can't even fathom why I have the job I do that allows me to stay home with her and still provide for my family. He has time and time and time again shown that his protection is effective and that he is looking out for me and for my family and I can't imagine going through what we're going through without him watching over us. It scares me, to be perfectly honest. It's a terrifying thought. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. We're going to do one last song. A closing thought, though. Ephesians 6.11 says, We are exhorted to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You want to know key attribute of Satan? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He is going to try and replace the truth with a very convenient lie. So each and every day, we need to pick up our sword and our shield and our breastplate and our helmet. Because it doesn't say in Ephesians 6.11, it doesn't say, so that you may slaughter the devil where it stands. It says, you should be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That armor that we put on every day when we arm ourselves with what the Lord has for us is so we can cut through all the garbage that Satan is throwing our way to see the truth of how the Lord is moving. If we're not fooled by the stuff he's throwing our way, then we can actually move forward in the kingdom task that he has for us because we won't be afraid about being protected. We won't be looking at the situations around us. So we need to do that every day. We need to wake up and we need to have a mindset that God has given us the ability, he's given us the armor and he's given us the weapons to see through all the garbage and all the stuff that surrounds our situation and all the lies that surround our situation to know where he is moving and what he's doing. He's, the ending guard is our protector. He's the one who never sleeps. He's the one who never fails. Thanks for joining us this week. We pray that you are challenged and blessed by this message and that you find application for it in your life as God leads you through this week. For more information about us, please visit our website at cornerstonevineyard.church.